This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. Today we're trying out a new segment, hopefully recurring, called Cocktail Hour. Cocktail Hour. This one might be a little bit less than an hour. That's true. <laughs> Maybe. We, we probably shouldn't actually say that because that means that we'll start talking and we just will never stop. It'll be like a three hour long episode. Although, as you have pointed out to me, I am an editor and I can edit things. <laughs> you, you edit things all the time, in fact. Yeah. And somehow my brain, I just never, <laughs> I never think to do it. <laughs> We're going to start with the Blood and Mary. Yeah. As you might start your morning with. That is the cocktail. You're yeah. starting cocktail hour with. Uh-huh. Uh, we thought that it would be fun to do because it is so unlike so many other cocktails. That's true. It's, it's very polarizing as well, I find. Do you, I, do people not like Bloody Marys? Oh my gosh, yes. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've never met these people. I can introduce you to some. Okay. We could probably walk out the door and take a poll right now. Oh, I, I, I mean, I suppose so, but it's just, it's a, it's a breakfast salad that why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> Why wouldn't that sounds even... so healthy. That's like a positive spin. <laughs> I guess of the cocktails, Bloody Mary is up there in health content. I mean. Sure. Um, ish. Once you add booze to anything, honestly, it's no longer, it's it doesn't true. count. Um, <laughs> but, uh, speaking of, uh, hey, um, drink responsibly and, uh, don't do it if you're underage or shouldn't. 
obligatory disclaimer out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Done. So, Bloody Mary, what is it? That's a great question. In general, bartenders really like Bloody Marys because they're so easy to customize. Uh, Really, the only ingredient you absolutely have to use is tomato juice. And this is key because if you use a good quality tomato juice, you're going to have a good quality Bloody Mary. But if you don't, it's going to be watery and gross. Trust me on this. I've had one. Not fun. <laughs> Terrible. Once you've got the tomato juice part down, though, um, I, you can add basically anything you want in there, and people do. But there, there is a classic kind of... Uh, yes, ingredient set. Yes. <laughs> I understood I was, I was, your gestures. I was gesturing <laughs> at the table t- towards like a list that doesn't exist. Okay, here we go. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> that classic list is... Vodka. And Worcestershire sauce. I have a funny story about Worcestershire sauce that I want to add in here. Okay. Okay. If I say this quote, I want to know if you know where it's from. All right. Worcestershire sauce. I hate Worcestershire sauce. (laughs) No? No no clue. Okay. I always say that. Absolutely no idea. Ever Worcestershire sauce comes up, I say that. It's from a Scooby-Doo episode. If anybody got that, bonus points to you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Usually people will like to add lemon or lime juice, mm-hmm. salt or celery salt, pepper, and a celery stick for garnish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people, a lot of people probably, like to spice it up with hot sauce or horseradish or both. Yeah, I certainly do. Um, variations include the Bloody Caesar, in which clam juice is added along with the tomato juice. Mm-hmm. Apparently big in Canada. Apparently. <laughs> Any Canadians out there can confirm that for us. Um, then there's the bloody bull, but you add beef broth to the tomato juice. I've so. never done this, but I want that right now. Yeah, that sounds like it's a very hearty Bloody Mary. <laughs> now we're moving into breakfast soup territory. That's, that's great. Um, the Bloody Maria uses tequila as the base spirit, um, rather than vodka. That's my personal favorite thing to do because vodka is not my favorite. Um, apparently some Bloody Marias use pineapple or orange juice. Yeah. Like instead of the tomato juice? I think they use it along with the Ooh. tomato juice. Okay. Yeah, That's, I've never had that personally. I I guess I guess that would be I'm giving a side eye to the orange part, but the pineapple sounds good if I could eat pineapple, which I cannot. <laughs> well then it doesn't sound very good, does it? <laughs> no, it sounds delicious though. <laughs> I'll try it in your stead and okay. tell you how it is. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. <laughs> Uh, and no list of Bloody Mary types would be complete without the so-called legendary Bloody Marys, <laughs> which are basically <laughs> a meal. Yeah. Uh, they could include things like burgers, bacon, grilled cheese sandwiches, uh, like skewered with these heavy toothpicks that are garnished. <laughs> Gar- garnish. Garnish yes. in like heavy scare quotes. Yeah. Garnish. Sure. Uh, and you, you, you've probably seen these around. Yes. There's at least a place in uh, Atlanta where they have one that has like tater tots and steak and eggs and bacon. I think we're going to go yeah. on a field trip and maybe check that one out. Yeah, totally. Uh, the place is called The Nook if you're ever in town. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in Chicago that has uh, Wagyu beef and soft shell crab as <laughs> topping options. That sounds very fancy indeed. Uh-huh. And we can't leave out uh, Wisconsin restaurant Sobelman's. And they their take on it is a jug topped with a pound of fried chicken, cheeseburger sliders, sausages, and jalapeno poppers. 
See, I'm in for the jalapeno poppers. I feel like <laughs> nothing else. I feel like the pound of fried chicken is. I mean, actually, the, the the thing that made me grimace the most was just the idea of a jug of Bloody Marys. I never. Yeah, that's not. That's a lot of Bloody Mary. Yeah, that is. I do believe this was a special, a fundraiser type Bloody Mary. I don't think they make this all the time. <laughs> and I will say, when I was in Wisconsin, that uh, Bloody Mary seemed to be a popular drink there. Huh. And every time I ordered one. It came with a beer. Oh, to that's... wash it down. <laughs> okay, that's sure cool. It was cool. Yeah, it was nice. All right. Um, it's it's also despite the fact that you kind of need to use good quality tomato juice, it's actually one of the cocktails that that experts recommend a uh, low, if not like bottom shelf liquor for. Um, and now I I'm a firm believer in getting what you pay for the next day, which we will talk about later because uh, Bloody Marys, of course, are, are touted as this amazing hangover cure. Yep. Um, but uh, but it's true that you will not notice the rough burn of low quality liquor in a Bloody Mary because uh, basically the burn of alcohol happens because it triggers one of the pain channels in the human nervous system. Um, the, the stuff in hot peppers that makes them spicy, capsaicin, triggers the same pain channel. Mm. Um, horseradish, uh, which you might have in there, triggers a slightly different one. But point being that with all that going on, you're just not going to notice the burn of cheap alcohol. Yeah. So, And there's actually a reason for that that we'll come back to in a minute. Yeah. So let's look at the history oh, of and, the Bloody Mary. And this is so fun. Um, yes. First, first off, I want to point out that like spicy tomato concoctions are as old as tomatoes as we know them. Central Americans were growing uh, tomatil and using them in sauces with uh, with spicy chili peppers like ahi long before Europeans showed up around about the 1500s and started sending tomatoes back over to Spain and Italy and from there to the rest of Europe. Just just saying we didn't make this up. No. And actually, we don't know who made this up. <laughs> no. <laughs> there are a couple of versions of how the cocktail we know as the Bloody Mary came to be. And uh, depending on which one you're talking about, you could be talking about gunfire, <laughs> bloody queens from the past. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's some there's some great tall tales involved in, in oh yeah in this and in, in, in a lot of cocktail culture. Like like basically, it's that thing where similar ideas tend to pop up in different places because people are really great at coming up with good ideas, especially where food and drink are concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, uh, okay, so, so getting, getting into this one. Yes. This one being one of the most popular versions of how the Bloody Mary originated. And it originated from a place you might not expect, or I didn't anyway. Paris. 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 In the 1920s. Yes. The United States in the midst of prohibition, which, in case you didn't know, was a ban on the making, distributing, importing, Transport and sale of alcohol in the U.S. that lasted from 1920 to 1933. Bartenders of the serious type are fleeing the United States in droves so they could continue honing their craft. And a lot of them resettled in Paris. And with them, they were bringing their American-made canned juices. Which were very popular in American cocktails at the time to cover up the terrible taste and burn of Prohibition-era liquor. Yeah, because it was all like white whiskey and bathtub gin. Exactly. And at the same time, a decent amount of Russians were resettling in Paris to escape uh, the prospect of Marx and Lenin and the Russian Revolution. And guess what they brought with them? What did they bring with them? 
vodka. Oh. Yes. Uh, and vodka wasn't widespread out of, outside of places like Russia, Scandinavia and Poland. Um, but it wasn't as rare as people make it sound. Just wasn't a super popular yeah. liquor to use. It, it might not have been like a, like a home thing. Yeah. Especially in the United States until, well, that's certainly not during prohibition, but, but yeah. like, like I think the first major vodka distribution, like home distribution happened in the 1940s. So yeah, a lot of bars didn't have it before then, or a lot of houses didn't have it before then. There was less call for it in bars. Yes. Cause no one knew what to order with it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, so the end result of all of this is that, uh, bars in Paris had this vodka. And mm-hmm. a bunch of other stuff to use. Yeah. Like canned tomato juice. Yeah, they had a bunch of uh, shiny new ingredients to experiment with. And they now had Russian and American clientele to impress. So one of these French cocktail experimenters, Ferdinand Pietro. <laughs> Lauren wrote down the pronunciation. <laughs> And it threw me off. It should have helped me out. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's just because I wasn't expecting it. So, by the name of <laughs> Ferdinand Pietro of Harry's New York Bar, which is apparently still open and despite the name was located in Paris. Um, and he mixed some American tomato juice with Russian vodka about half and half to get a cocktail that he liked. But by the way, his nickname was Pete. Yes. Very, very important because I'm not going to keep saying his full name. <laughs> Although I do love Ferdinand. So he created this, uh, su- supposedly created this tomato juice vodka cocktail over in Paris. Right. But upon the passing of the 21st Amendment, which ended prohibition, uh, he headed over to the U.S. And we'll tell you all about that after a short break from our sponsor. Okay, and we're back. Now, Prohibition is over. Pietro, or Pete, left Paris for the U.S. as the head bartender at St. Regis's Hotel's King Cole Room, which was a job offered to him in part because Americans had brought back this tomato vodka drink to the U.S. Ah. <laughs> and one day, Sergei Oblonsky, oh, these pronunciations, Lauren, you're the best. <laughs> Uh, who was a Russian businessman and prince. Yeah, Russian prince. Yeah. I like how businessman is first. <laughs> well, you're the one who wrote it. I know. You- <laughs> I, clearly in my head, that's the more that's important, the important thing. Part. Yeah. Uh, he ordered the tomato cocktail, but with a caveat. He wanted something with a bit more flourish. Some salt, pepper, Worcestershire sauce, and lemon juice later, shaken with the base tomato juice vodka mixture, and the Bloody Mary, as most of us know it, Today was served. When asked about his cocktail invention by the New Yorker in 1964, Pietro claimed that actor George Jessel gave him the inspiration when he mentioned a drink of tomato juice and vodka in an interview, but Pietro added that extra zing pop to make the more common iteration of the Bloody Mary we know today. Uh, and this is probably maybe when the name came about, but there's a lot of contention about that. Yeah, yeah. Or it's 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 not contention. I think it's it's friendly banter. Yeah, you're right. But we'll yes, yes. We'll we'll get we'll get on to that in a minute. But first, let's uh let let's stick with the story of this cocktail at this place in time. Despite being the 
purported home or one of the purported homes of this famous cocktail. The St. Regis Hotels? Yes. Uh, uh, it doesn't list the Bloody Mary on their website. And that's because the then hotel's owner, Vincent Astor, thought the name Bloody Mary was too vulgar. Huh. So he went with the Red Snapper instead. Uh, and today, the King Cole Bar serves about 850 Red Snappers a month. Some people thought that the name change meant that the base liquor changed, uh, probably to gin, since uh-huh. it was more common in the U.S. at the time. You know, that bathtub gin. But this wasn't true. It was always vodka. Oh, actually, it's not vodka today. No, that's where the confusion comes from, I think. <laughs> Uh, modern day iterations of the Red Snapper are made with gin, but it was it was made with vodka at the time. Um, and now we have uh, in our timeline a quote from a famous American author. Yes. If you had to guess who wrote in a 1947 letter that his introduction of the Bloody Mary to Hong Kong, quote, did more than any other single factor except the Japanese army to precipitate the fall of that crown colony. If you said Ernest Hemingway, ding, ding, ding. Congratulations, you get nothing. Yeah, because we're a podcast and we can't give you stuff. No. Except for joy. Yeah. And information. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't leave. <laughs> and note to self, Lauren, don't tell the audience that we have nothing to give them. <laughs> oh. Um, uh, It it was also around this time that written recipes of Bloody Marys started popping up. David Embury included it in his 1952 update of The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks. Uh, He described it as combining in one potion the poison and the antidote. (laughs) He also called it, quote, the meatloaf of the cocktail world. I apologize. I said meatloaf weird. (laughs) But apparently this meant it was super customizable. I am not sure what that's about. That's I I don't know. I, I'm not the sure what meatloaf. I'm not sure what meatloaf meant to people in 1952. <laughs> Perhaps uh, a future episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man, I would love to. Oh man, I already crave meatloaf like every other day. Is that a weird craving? It's a nostalgia thing. I'm sure it feels like a strange craving to me, <laughs> but I'm not going to judge you. Thank you. You can't control your cravings. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> In the 1960s, the first Bloody Mary mix hit American shelves. Um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. T's Bloody Mary mix, named for its creators, Herb and June Taylor. Oh. Another brand name that's based on an actual human name person. I was about to ask if that was still around. It sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think it's still sold, sold in stores. Um, so speaking of names, mm-hmm. what about that name thing? It gets kind of messy. Trying to figure out where the name came from. Uh, yeah, and, and a lot of the information that we have about this comes from interviews that were done decades later. Yeah. And uh, a lot of those interviews, at the end, the author would be like, the human memory is a funny thing. It can get fuzzy. And, ha, 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 we don't really know. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, 1972 interview with the Cleveland Press, Pieto... The guy from Paris who's supposedly maybe helped. The inventor of it-ish? Maybe-ish. Um, said the name was suggested by patron and American entertainer Roy Barton, who wanted to name the drink after his favorite waitress, Mary, at Chicago nightclub Bucket of Blood. Which apparently was a dive bar. Mm-hmm. Had some bar fights, mops of blood, stuff like that. Can't really be verified, but 
Fun story. The first written instance of the name Bloody Mary didn't occur until 1939 in an article written by Walter Winchell in the Chicago Tribune. And the earliest published recipe of a Bloody Mary didn't come about until 1946 in Stork Club Bar Book, written by Lucius Bebe. And this is where, this is why some people don't think Pieto truly invented the Bloody Mary is because there's no written. There's no record. There's like, no written, Not even at the bar that right. he worked at uh, yeah. in uh, Paris. And also there was a recipe, to, to complicate things further, there was a recipe for the Red Snapper that was listed five years earlier in 1941 in the Cocktail Guide and Ladies' Companion by Crosby Gage. For another popular version of how the name Bloody Mary came to be, and this is probably my favorite version. Yes. Um Let's go back to actor, comedian, and, quote, Toastmaster General of the United States. Mr. George Jessel. Yes. The guy we mentioned earlier who supposedly inspired Pieto to create the Bloody Mary. Uh, in his autobiography, Jessel asserted he invented the Bloody Mary in 1927. And in his version of the story, he and his friends would get drunk and stay drunk well into the next morning. And one of these mornings, the bartender took pity on the hungover George Jessel and pulled out a dusty bottle of vodka, suggesting Jessel give it a whirl. And the bartender was like, was like, no one has ever drank this strange thing before. Perhaps it has medicinal qualities. Try it. <laughs> I'm not sure why my version of the bartender is British. I think they were in like Palm Beach or something. They were. Okay. But I love it. He could have been a transplant. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you. <laughs> George gave this vodka a whiff. And he was assaulted by what he described the smell of bad or rotten potatoes. Um, but, but apparently the state of affairs was bad enough <laughs> that he figured he had nothing left to lose. And he asked for Worcestershire sauce, lemon, and tomato juice to cover the smell. And according to Jessel, it worked wonders on the hangover sobering bit that he was going for. And it was also at this pivotal moment um, that... uh that the naming possibly occurred. Right. Because according to Jessel, uh, as he was tasting this new cocktail, local socialite Mary Brown Warburton walked into the bar still wearing an elegant white dress from the night before. Jessel, being a gentleman, offered her <laughs> a taste of the cocktail and Mary promptly spilled it onto her white dress. And then said, ha ha ha, you should call me Bloody Mary now. <laughs> Um, but the story does not stop there. This is where gunfire comes in. But first, let's stop for another break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Okay, gunfire, what's up? Here's where it gets crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Jessel claimed he was at a bar with Mary Brown Warburton's ex-boyfriend, Ted Healy, about a year after this apparent naming occurred. Mm -hmm. uh, Ted was a little drunk, supposedly known to be drunk, mm -hmm. and also supposedly had picked up a copy of the Chicago Tribune with the article about George Jessel and the invention of the Bloody Mary. <laughs> and coincidentally, or maybe not, the author, Walter Winchell, was a friend of Jessel's. Okay. Uh, it mentioned how Jessel had named the drink after Mary, who Ted have been dating at the time. Ah. Yes. And furious and suspecting George had made a move on his then girl, Ted pulled out a pistol and took a shot at Jessel, the bullet going right past Jessel's ear. 
Jessel managed to escape the altercation, but was deaf for a week. (laughs) (laughs) And how can a story this good not be true? Oh, man. I like to believe it's true, but I just just have trouble. (laughs) It seems like quite a stretch. And in fact, (laughs) pre-autobiography slash younger George Jessel did not seem nearly as confident. He said, quote, if I wasn't the first ever... I was the happiest ever. Oh, that's a good line. Yes. And his invention story was a much less dramatic version in that he basically wanted to get a serving of vegetables in with his Smirnoff vodka. I've been known to say similar things about fruit and mimosas. I certainly haven't been calling the drink a breakfast salad this entire time. <laughs> you and George Jessel might have something yeah. in common. <laughs> yeah, I think that this guy was was uh, uh he, he was a very famous actor and comedian yes. and uh, a very charming sounding human person. I totally want to go get a bloody mary with this dude. Um and he, he was he was the writer of um of, of the jazz singer, you know, the, the first talking motion picture, the first talkie, except he apparently couldn't couldn't be in it because he was arguing with the Warner Brothers too hard at the time. He was probably I, drunk. He was probably not sober. Uh, <laughs> um, but but uh, but there there are other stories about the naming of the Bloody Mary. Yes, another popular origin story for the name Bloody Mary dates back to the 1550s, and has to do with England's notorious Queen Mary the First, aka Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. You know, the queen that tried to turn England back to Roman Catholicism, and in five years burned around about 300 people at the stake. Yeah. That Bloody Mary. That one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Supposedly, the tomato juice represents the blood and the vodka is symbolic of the fire she used to execute folks because vodka burns. Get it? I, yeah. I don't. I don't really see the parallel necessarily. Uh, it, m- m- most people, most people in the industry think that this is a total myth. Yeah. They don't see the parallel either, apparently. Drink historians think that probably some of all of these are true, except not the Queen Mary, the first thing. And before either of these fellows made claims, like we said at the top of the podcast, um, there were written instances of a virgin take, frequently called the tomato juice cocktail. Oh, yeah. Uh, long going, before this. Yeah, going all the way back to 1892. Yes. The London Gazette described a drink served in Manhattan, very similar to a non-alcoholic Bloody Mary, <laughs> prefacing it with, quote, for the benefit of those who may be possessed of suicidal intentions, I give the recipe. <laughs> Goodness, Victorians were so intense. They were. They did not buzz around. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 what is what is this recipe? It consisted of seven small oysters. Why seven? I don't know. Tabasco sauce, Mexican chili sauce, salt, lemon, horseradish, pepper, green pepper sauce, African pepper ketchup, and fill to the top with tomato juice. Uh, this was called the oyster cocktail, and it was served warm. <laughs> that was a detail I did not know. Uh, yeah. Um, also, my personal huh moment of this episode was that Tabas- Tabasco was totally already a popular brand in the 1890s. Um, it's actually been in production since 1868. I like the personal huh moment. Yeah. I should add that. It should be a thing. Yeah. A pizza bonus. Personal huh moment. Oh, pizza bonus. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that there's a Bloody Mary that's served with a with pizza. I'm on sure. It. If if you've ever had one, write write in. Let us know. <laughs> um, but so this oyster cocktail would later evolve into the tomato juice cocktail, which actually helped popular popularize tomato juice in the United States because it wasn't super big until people started putting Tabasco 
in it. And a fella out of Chicago, which is a town that seems to have a lot to do with Bloody Mary. Peripherally, yeah. Yes. Uh, named Ernest Byfield tasted one of these tomato cocktails in 1917 after French chef Louis, well, that'd probably be Louis. Louis. Barrett supposedly started a trend when his Indiana resort ran out of orange juice and he served tomato juice to the guest instead. All right. Um, By- Byfield was credited in a 1934 edition of Time magazine with putting tomato juice on the American consumer's map, writing that the, quote, rise in tomato juice sales had been the most spectacular of any food during the Depression. Ooh. And it did experience a pretty insane increase in sales from not even warranting being counted before 1928 to 5 million cases sold for about 8.5 million. And don't forget, that was even bigger bucks at the time in 1933, which purportedly is why American bartenders bought canned tomato juice with them as they hightailed it out of Prohibition era United States to France. Huh. Yes. If the Bloody Mary was in fact invented in France. Hmm. Yeah. Ernest Byfield went on to open the Pump Room, which he hailed as the most famous restaurant in America. Sure. That's, it's nice to think nice things about yourself. Yeah, I guess. It was popular. Uh, <laughs> it attracted the likes of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Elizabeth Taylor, the big movers and shakers of the time. Yeah. I think. I'm not entirely sure what a mover and shaker <laughs> is. <laughs> uh, you know, you, it's more of a gesture than a thing that you can, you're moving and you're shaking it. It's like a, it's like a little, uh, like a, it's like a little shoulder. Oh. Shoulder shimmy. So anybody could be a mover and shaker. No, no, it's, I mean, I don't know. Hmm. If, <laughs> different, different show. If I, if I ever. More in depth later. If I ever get that, that etymology show, uh, off the ground, then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First episode, Movers and Shakers. Yeah. The pump room is thought to be where the celery stick garnish originated. Ah. Supposedly, one of these Movers and Shakers <laughs> asked for a celery stick to stir his or her drink after the restaurant ran out of swizzle sticks. And this brings us to our hangover segment of the show. I got really excited about this part. <laughs> uh, because, because, okay, so, you know, like, like, was, was George Jessel right? Is this the best thing to cure a hangover? That's a great question. <laughs> I think we'd all like to know that. <laughs> uh, okay, so the thing is, is that hangovers are pretty great. I mean, scientifically speaking, they're, they're, they're not good when you have them. Um, no. the medical term for a hangover is vasalgia, uh, supposedly from the Norwegian word for uneasiness following debauchery. Pretty great definition. Which is a great word. <laughs> um, and the Greek word for pain. And a hangover is basically dehydration plus nutrient deficiency. That's because alcohol suppresses the creation of a hormone that helps control water absorption throughout your body. And without it, your kidneys send water straight to your bladder. Like, do not pass go. Do not hydrate the cells and organs in your body. A single drink of alcohol will make your body expel three to four times that much water through urination. And eventually, your body will try to keep certain organs going, despite this, by by stealing water from other organs, like your brain. Um <laughs> Yay. Great plan, body. A loss of water from the brain causes it to shrink enough to pull on the membranes that connect it to your skull, which is why you get a headache during a hangover. But that's not all. Along with water, your body is also expelling salts and potassium, which plays havoc with your nervous system and results in feeling nauseated and sort of like achy, like tired achy. Yeah. Yeah. 
And alcohol breaks down um, glycogen in the liver, which is a source of energy. You wind up expelling glucose through your through your urine, which is why you feel kind of like weak and tired and clumsy. Um, plus, boozes <laughs> contain a few things, uh, a, a few chemical compounds that your body just really doesn't deal with well. And your liver has to work overtime to break them down and get them out just when you've deprived your liver of the water and nutrients and energy source that it needs to do stuff. This this is why you feel like crap when you have a hangover. <laughs> um, and I'm, so, I'm sorry to report that there's really no way to cure a hangover, except for like eating nutritious foods like proteins and fruits and vegetables um, and hydrating and letting time pass. Ah, waiting it out. Yeah. But drinking more booze will stop you from noticing that you feel so crappy because it numbs your pain signals. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But it'll make the hangover even worse when you finally do sober up because you're taxing your body all over again. Well, the sprinkles are also cursed. Um, (laughs) All all that being said, uh, I mean, in terms of like 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 Bloody Marys in particular, tomatoes are high in potassium. Okay, and uh, they're salty and you need to replenish your salts. Um, And the spicy stuff in a Bloody Mary will further distract your nervous system from the pain that it's reporting. Okay. Uh, I've been told that it's better, like the Bloody Mary, a virgin Bloody Mary. Yes. Is good. Yes. Putting, putting vodka in it or whatever other liquor you use really isn't going to help you out. Um, I, I mean, like, like, on, honestly, y'all, like, if you want to cure a hangover, like, the best way to cure it is to prevent it. And so, like, before you go to bed, drink lots of water and, like, maybe eat a banana and drink responsibly. Don't, don't overdo it. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean... Virgin Bloody Mary, that does sound like a lovely plan. (laughs) (laughs) For people with far more willpower than either Annie or myself, apparently, based on the faces that we're each making. (laughs) Well, so with that, (laughs) that wraps up our first edition of Cocktail Hour. Cocktail Hour, yes. The Bloody Mary version. Uh Uh-huh. It's been lovely. It has. Uh, if, If you have anything that you'd like to say to us about it, or if you would like to suggest another uh, topic of podcastery, um, you can you can get in touch with us. Uh, we have a fancy Twitter and also Instagram account. Uh, those are um, on Instagram. We're at foodstuff, and on Twitter we're at foodstuff hsw, which stands for how stuff works. Right. We also have an email. Yes. You can email us at foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. Thank you so much for listening. We, we really appreciate you. Um, and uh, uh, we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Ride. 
roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.